Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. It began long ago. Two young boys in an American town riding their bikes to school and Little League practice. Over the years, the boys became fast friends, united in their love for stories where things would go horribly wrong. Pour yourself a strong beverage and buckle up. You're in the shallow end with Schnebly and Toth. So I was at Costco today and I have some very, very good news. I've been on a search for the absolutely slowest coffee bean grinding machine on the North American continent. And I finally found it. And it's at Costco in Burbank. That's so exciting. Roughly 11 minutes to grind a single bag of coffee. <laughs> but I don't have to search anymore. Right. Your, your days of searching are over. <laughs> the rest of my life I can devote to other things. That's wonderful to hear. And I'm just overjoyed. I'm so happy for you. Yeah. Just wanted to share that with the listeners. We were just discussing the other day, I've not been to a Costco ever. Mm. And... I feel like I'm missing something. This almost pains me. It almost causes me physical pain to think that you've... It's like when you find a friend has not read a classic book or seen a film like... Nympho at the Camping Ground. Yeah. How, One of those how, classics. How have, you, how have you done that, Kat? I don't know. I'm See, from Maine. Costco, as long as I've known Lindsay, Costco has been uh, his happy place. It's my yeah? happy place. Back when it was Price Club. Yeah, Price Club or Pace Warehouse. I've never even heard of those things. Yeah, it's a while. It's yeah. been a while. Okay. Yeah, that's how you know the vets when they, they refer to it as Price Club. I'm running to Price Club. Going to crawl into my 1987 Toyota Go back in time to Price Club. When uh, we lived in Bangor, we had uh, Sam's Club. And when Kat was a little tiny baby person, her dad used to take her to Sam's Club a lot as a child. So she associates that with her dad. And so whenever she smells the combination of Vienna beef, hot dogs, and tires, she... Makes me weepy. Yep. She thinks of her dad. Yeah. Well, I get weepy for a very different reason, because that means I've got to be at Costco. (laughs) (laughs) You have a much sweeter reason to be weepy. I don't know. Your love seems sincere, so... (laughs) It would be great if we could do a show from a Costco, like a food court. You know, I was thinking just now, it would be great if you two would actually just do a show. So, <laughs> hey. you have a story? hey let's Let's do that. Lindsay, uh, your turn to go first. All right. If things had gone just a bit differently, a gentleman named James Howells might today be as rich as the Queen of England. Ooh. And that decisive moment, he now thinks, occurred one evening back in August 
of 2013. He was 28 years old. He was at home with his family. This is in Newport. It's a small city on the Welsh coast in the UK. Howells was living with a woman named Hafina. They were raising three kids. They had uh, just taken a family trip to Disneyland Paris. And as you guys who are aficionados of Disney theme parks know, those trips are fun and at the same time they can be exhausting, mm. particularly when you're doing it with the with kids or oh, yeah. friends We're, keeping keeping track. We are annual pass holders at Disney World here in uh, Orlando. And one of the things we enjoy doing most is going to one of the parks and finding a shady spot and sitting there and just mocking the families who have spent <laughs> tens of thousands of dollars to be miserable. Yeah, yeah. I'm not going to lie to you. As a, as a cast member, we used to do that from time to time. <laughs> we would do that with the annual pass holders, which is <laughs> ironic indeed. Interesting. So uh, James Howells is, is exhausted from his trip to Disneyland Paris, and he decides he's going to take what he calls a lad's vacation which is slang for a guy's trip. And he's just going to go to this resort in Cyprus with a bunch of buddies and hang out and drink too much and <clears throat> lay by the pool and, you know. The perfect holiday. So it's the night before he's leaving for this vacation and he's cleaning out his office. He thinks, I don't want to come back from this vacation with a hangover and have to clean up my <laughs> office. So I'm going to do it the day before I leave. So it's 1030 at night and his girlfriend Hafina comes into his office and he says I remember she wanted to have a cigarette with me and just chat while I cleaned up so he's going through his his office shelves and drawers and he's got a big garbage bag and he's just throwing stuff in he's chucking chucking stuff in keep that lose that bunch of cables old paperwork don't need that broken computer mouse and in a cluttered desk drawer he finds two small hard drives and they look identical, and one he knows is just blank. And the other came from an old laptop he had, and that had some emails, music that he downloaded, duplicates of family photos, and he actually had had this drive in this laptop years before and had spilled lemonade on it <laughs> and fried the computer but was able to save the drive. And he thought, God, everything that I have on this old lemonade crusted drive is backed up on the cloud i don't need that and so he throws it in the garbage bag which to me as a not even an it guy but somebody who spends a fair amount of time working with and on computer backups and making sure i've got stuff on different drives even if it's in the cloud blah 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 the idea of throwing a drive into a garbage bag just I just sh uh, shuddered. I agree. And if you're like me and you spend a lot of time like trying to uh, destroy your digital history and footprint, um, <laughs> why he didn't take a hammer to that hard drive yeah. first is yeah. beyond scope of understanding. Yeah. I remember a few years ago, my brother-in-law, Tom, came out to visit from Phoenix, and he's a very, very handy guy who who can seemingly fix or build or disassemble anything. And I had an old drive computer drive that I had pulled out of a, of a computer that died. And I actually sat with him out in the backyard as he drilled holes in the drive. <laughs> yeah. And then we poured like acid on it and pulled the platters out and just... What are you guys saving on your computers? This is so <laughs> nothing, weird. Nothing. No. <laughs> well, this particular drive, I remember it had, had old tax returns and bank statements on it. Okay. Ah. And social security numbers and bank accounts and 
passwords. And I just thought, I'm not throwing this away, but I don't want to hang on to it. Makes sense. So later that night, as the couple is getting ready to go to sleep, James Howells asks his girlfriend, Hafina, who would drop off their kids each day in, in, the, in the morning, if she would take the trash to the dump. And he remembers her saying, that's not my effing job, pal. That's your job. You know, okay, yeah, you're right. And then as he's about to fall asleep, he thinks, you know, I'm a systems engineer. I've never thrown a hard drive in the trash. That's just a bad idea. Makes a mental note when he gets up in the morning, take that hard drive out of the bag. So the next day, his girlfriend, who apparently is a very, very nice person, gets up early and thinks, you know what, I'll take this thing to the landfill for him. He's still asleep. He wakes up. It's nine in the morning and the bag, the garbage bag is gone. And he says, did you take that uh, bag to the dump? And she said, well, of course I did. I wanted, I wanted to, you know, I wanted to do you a favor. You asked me to do it. I said, no, that was not nice. So I took it to the dump. And he, and he thinks... Uh, well, that was nice of her. She she chucked it, and he falls back asleep. So it's just a computer hard drive, right? I mean, those things get tossed, or they break all the all the time. What's what's the big deal about this? Well, it's not long after this that James Howells remembers something very significant about that hard drive. It contained something fairly new at the time called, sit down, Bitcoin. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, oh, no. Now, keep in mind, this is 2013. So it's not like it's a lot of money. He thinks eh, it's probably a couple, maybe a couple thousand dollars in Bitcoin. And then he starts going back into his memory and remembering exactly how many Bitcoin were on it. And he realizes it's. 7,500 Bitcoin. So he's thinking, well, okay, it's only a few thousand dollars. And so for a month, he doesn't tell anybody about this. Now, later, much later, at its peak, those 7,500 Bitcoin would be worth, I know I already told you to sit down, but sit down again, <laughs> $550 million, more than half... <laughs> A billion dollars. Oh, oh my God. Now, today, today, as, as we record this, that 7,500 Bitcoin are estimated at only $178 million. Now we're back in 2013. He hasn't said anything to anybody because he's, he's trying to forget it. He's thinking it's gone anyway. Just, just let it go. But this is about the time where Bitcoin starts to make news and it starts doing crazy, stupid uh, gains in the market, like on a weekly basis. And he finally confesses to his girlfriend, Hafina, hey, remember when you chucked that, uh, that bag at the dump? Well, it had some Bitcoin on it and I'm bothered by this. And she, <laughs> she says, it's, all, it's a half a billion. Yeah. yeah, this is turning into a bigger and bigger mistake. You got to go find that thing. So he, go, he actually goes to the landfill. And this has been a month? This has been about a month since he's, since he's tossed it. Uh-huh. But he sees the way things are going. And he, he finds the manager of that landfill and says, hey, uh, I think this is probably worth maybe about $4 million by now. Because by this time, Bitcoin is just skyrocketing. And the manager kind of shakes his head like, you're a flipping idiot. But <laughs> says, come with me. Takes him to an elevated spot on this landfill and points 
to a particular chunk of the landfill. And he says, the bad news is it's somewhere down there. The good news is that we don't just fill stuff randomly. We actually have a plan for the way trash is distributed. And so I can tell you that your hard drive, based on the date that your girlfriend dropped that bag, is going to be somewhere over there and points to a very specific spot. Wow. So James says, can I go looking for it? And he goes, well, no, because it's actually owned by the city. You need to get their permission to go in and dig up this this chunk of, of the landfill. But James goes home, he he calls the thing up on Google Maps and looks at the space and thinks the amount of trash is finite, this object is findable. So this is where things start start to get tricky because the the city council in Newport uh says, "Well, we don't really want people digging around in there. It's not safe. It's going to release methane. We can't mm. just have everybody digging stuff up." So tell you what, if if we find it, we'll give it back to you. <laughs> and he's like, well, yeah, no, that's not going to work. I, I'd like to go in and dig it up. I'll sign a waiver. I'll sign a waiver. And uh, he actually ends up talking to a company in the Twin Cities, a, a company called On Track, and they are top-notch computer drive recovery people. In fact. When the uh, space shuttle, when the Columbia, remember back in, in 2003 yeah. crashed, this company on track actually helped NASA record data on hard drives. I mean, they are really, really good. And they said to this guy, James, there's an 80 to 90 percent chance that we can recover that Bitcoin if you can get us the drive. Worth it. Get to digging. Get to digging. So he's determined through Google Maps and going there, back there repeated times that it's approximately 2,100 square feet and maybe as many as 49 to 50 feet deep. And it could take years, but he comes up with this plan. It would be sorted, the, the garbage that, that he would go in if he gets permission from the city council would be sorted at a little pop-up facility near the landfill. And it would be a combination of humans who pick through this garbage and an AI system that would be programmed to spot a hard drive. Aha. Uh -huh. Dump trucks would carry the items from the, the dump to a hopper, feed it onto a conveyor belt. This stuff passes under a 3D object detection system and... The x-ray machine that he would use with this software is so powerful, it can actually spot something like a gun inside a garbage truck. Okay. So 40-ton trucks, and then once he gets the hard drive back, he says to the city, look, we can either rebury this stuff, uh, I'll burn it off-site, I'll send it to China, <laughs> I'll do anything, but please let me go back in there. And they continue to say, no, we, we can't. We, we just can't do that. Now, his Bitcoin folder on this hard drive, and it's his private key, which would allow him to, to get back into the account and sell this Bitcoin, takes up a tiny amount of disk space, ironically. Just 32K yeah. of, of space. It's, it's hardly, hardly anything. So then he comes up with the, the, the city says, no, won't do it, won't do it, won't do it. 
he finally thinks, okay, and this is a very smart idea. What if I provide financial incentive to the city? Right. So he contacts them again and says, look, I will give you 25% of the Bitcoin revenue if you let me go in there and dig it up. Because the council said, well, the cost is going to run into the millions, not to mention this environmental impact. And uh, finally, the, the city says, look, there is nothing you can do to convince <laughs> us to let you in here. The U.S., uh, the, our Environmental Protection Agency has shown that landfill reclamation can be done. It can release greenhouse gases, but there are ways to trap that and it can be safely done. He figured a quarter, 25% that the city would get of, what did I say, $178 million, roughly, that the city was going to say, sure, you can do it. Because that's, that's going to be about $45 million just to let him dig around the trash and give him permission. And so far, they continue to say, no, you can't do it. So... He has gone back one more time to ask them to let him in and now says if they say no for what this is this like the eighth or ninth time they've rejected him, he's just going to have to take him to court. And that's where that's where we sit with one hundred and seventy eight million dollars in Bitcoin in a dump in a space where he knows exactly where it is and the key to get it. And for whatever reason, the city continues to say no. We don't want the $45 million. Go pound sand. Do you think that they're in there quietly digging? He actually has uh, off property. He has set up a, <laughs> a system of robotic cameras to monitor, <laughs> to monitor that very thing. Uh, because he's afraid that somebody might be going in under cover of darkness and rooting around for it. See, I was just waiting for you to say, you remember how at the beginning of the story I told you there were two hard drives mm. and the other one was sitting on his desk the whole time and that was the one with the Bitcoin on oh. it. And I, yeah. I, ho I hope he's checked that. I'm sure he has. <laughs> Wouldn't that be funny if he bolted upright in bed one morning at like 3 a.m. and runs? Shit, damn it. It was right here. Screw you, landfill people. Or he goes, he gets permission, he digs through 80 tons of festering garbage, <laughs> finds the hard drive, takes it home, and it's the blank one. And he's had the Bitcoin yeah, the one. the Bitcoin the, in a drawer. The entire time, yeah. That's when the theme from Benny Hill kicks in, right? <laughs> yeah, yakety sacks. Wow, that was uh, depressing, but in a different kind of way. Yeah, Thank you, Lindsay. As I mentioned to Nancy when, when I told her the story, she said, well, at least nobody got killed. That's, you know, that's yeah. true. Yeah. yeah. I can't promise that. that with my story, though, so I'll get to that coming right up. You're in the shallow end with Schnebling and Toth. It's not just that our pizzas are some of the best you've ever tasted. It's not just our ingredients. We use only the freshest meats, toppings, and hand-pulled dough available. And it's not our top-secret oven design passed down for generations using our proprietary blend of wood, brick, and stone. So what makes our pizzas so much better than others? It's simple. You never have to order them. We're Psychic Pizza, the only brand of pizza made by people who know what you want before you do. Extra large? We already knew that. Double veggies but hold the mushrooms? We knew that too. And your address? We know where you live. We even know when you want it delivered. 
and there's no need for your credit card. We've known that for years. Psychic Pizza. We know what you want. We know where you live. Hey there, I'm Dylan Lewis, one of the hosts of Motley Fool Money. Each weekday on Motley Fool Money, we talk through the business news you need to know and the stories moving stocks on Wall Street. On weekends, we dive into the industries shaping tomorrow and host the experts, authors, and executives that understand them. Tune in for insights, a long-term perspective on investing, and of course, stock ideas, plenty of them. To quote a listener, it pays to listen. Check us out and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. When Johann Rahl received the letter on Christmas Day, 1776, he put it away to read later. Maybe he thought it was a season's greeting and wanted to save it for the fireside. But what it actually was, was a warning, delivered to the Hessian colonel, letting him know that General George Washington was crossing the Delaware and would soon attack his forces. The next day, when Rawl lost the Battle of Trenton and died from two colonial Boxing Day musket balls, the letter was found, unopened in his vest pocket. As someone with 15,000 unread emails in his inbox, I feel like there's a lesson there. Oh well, this is The Constant, a history of getting things wrong. I'm Mark Chrysler. Every episode, we look at the bad ideas, mistakes, and accidents that misshaped our world. Find us at constantpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello everyone, it's here. And I'm Gabby. And we are the hosts of History of Everything, a podcast which you can probably guess by the name is... Well, I mean, it's about everything. Do you want to know why people thought potatoes were evil and would give you syphilis? Are you curious about all the stories of the terrible and stupid ways that people have kicked the bucket over the years? Do you want to hear tales about all of the different badasses of history and the lives that they had brought to life? Well, if so, then look no further. History of Everything is just the right podcast for you. It's available on Spotify, Pandora, and anywhere else that you get your podcast from. Join us for some fun and just see how weird and wacky history can be. This is your friendly lifeguard with a public service announcement. Stay out of the fucking deep end. You're in the shallow end with Schnepley and Toth. Correspondence. That's our new custom lead-in. Yeah. Screw the professional jingle house. <laughs> I give you cat. Yeah. Our email address is lifeguard at shallowendpodcast.com. Wendy writes, hi, everyone. Loving the new podcast. Wanted to share this with you so many times while listening to the Box of Oddities. And now, the shallow end in my headphones, I find myself giggling or outright laughing out loud while in public walking my dog. So if that wasn't enough for people to think I'm odd, (laughs) with this last episode of The Shallow End, I literally said, tell me about it out loud at the same time as Cat. Nice. Which made me burst out in surprised and delightful giggles, realizing I had the exact same thought, but was talking to myself. I guess great minds think alike. Love you guys. Thank you, Wendy. Also have something from uh, Remy, who writes, Dear... Kat, Jethro, and Lindsay. I just finished listening to episode 10 of The Shallow End. 
and had my second boo effect. I'll get to the first in a moment. I work across the road from the airport that Flight 3701 was trying to land at. Oh, my God. Referring to episode 10. Now, back to my first boo effect. I can't remember what episode it was said, but I remember a conversation about the saying, gag me with a spoon. Before I'd listened to that episode, (laughs) within the week before, I'd heard it on another podcast I listened to called Critical Role, where they used it in one of their recurring ads. Mm -hmm. I'll attach a link to all three of the ads. In case you guys would like to watch them. I've been listening to Box of Oddity since before it was a cast box original and have been listening to The Shallow End since it was released. I enjoyed all of your guys' witty banter and goofy jokes. Thank you guys for brightening my Mondays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays. I hope you guys keep up the good work. Love, Remy. Thank Remy. You so much, Thank Remy. You, Remy. One of the you founding rock. members. Thanks. Yeah. We appreciate that. One of the things that I'm learning as this podcast moves forward over the weeks is just how many stupid people are out there. Um, The sheer volume of accounts of people who do stupid things, but are totally convinced that what they're doing is genius. Yeah. The right idea. I don't know about you, but for me, it's becoming more and more difficult to choose which story to share. Um, There's just too damn many of them. So today I want to share several stories of people who have made bad decisions because I couldn't choose just one. What a beautiful problem. It was Christmas Day, 2015. Three men decided that they were gonna celebrate the birth of our savior, Jesus Christ, in the traditional way by blowing up a condom machine. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, nothing says Christmas like Exploding rubbers. Happy birthday, Jesus. Here's some (laughs) prophylactic pyrotechnics. The three men were in their late 20s. The group's ringleader, a 29-year-old man from Germany, thought the best way to rob a condom machine was by blowing it up. So one of our guys gets out of the car and goes over to the condom machine, which apparently they just have on the side of the roads in Germany. It was next to a park. He puts the explosives underneath the uh, condom machine, lights the fuse, and then rushes back to the safety of his car. Well, he's not a total idiot. His two friends were already waiting in the car. They wouldn't even get out with him. So he gets back into the car, thinking he's safe and sound, but he does not close the door to the car. He thinks he's far enough away from the exploding condom machine to avoid any explosives. Yeah. Well, they came in a little bit hot with the explosives and the amount that they used. The subsequent explosion sent money, condoms, and pieces of vending machines scattering in all directions. But the actual door of the vending machine, as if guided by some sort of sophisticated (laughs) tracking system, made a beeline right for the guy sitting in the open door frame of his car. Hit him right in the head. Of course it did. So the other two guys, they were unharmed. And they fled the scene, leaving money and condoms and vending machine shrapnel everywhere, took their friend to a hospital in a small German town that was nearby, which I think is interesting. They wouldn't take him to the hometown hospital. (laughs) It was too embarrassing. They took him to a hospital out of town. Some things are better left out of town. So these two guys that were unharmed, they didn't want to admit to their condom machine hijinks and destroying ways. So they tried to tell the hospital, not only did they take him out of town, but then they told the hospital that their friend had injured his head, falling down a flight of stairs. Well, they didn't buy that, and they called police. And uh, during the questioning, they admitted that they had, in fact, 
blown up a condom machine that morning and uh, their accomplice had been hit in the head with a vending machine door. He was pronounced dead on arrival. Oh, my God. Yep. Oh, no. Yep. Oh, wow. Talk about let that be a lesson to the kids. First of all, don't blow up condom machines. But if you're going to blow up condom machines, make sure you have the right amount of explosives on hand. I think a good rule for any time you're handling explosives, right? Don't be piggy. I've got, I've got plenty of them here for you. It was a hot summer day in Buxton, North Carolina. A man named Daniel Jones was looking for a beach chair with an umbrella to shade him from the sun, but apparently couldn't find an umbrella. He found a beach chair, but not an umbrella. So for protection to shield himself from the glare of ultraviolet rays, he started digging a hole in the sand. And he actually got the hole pretty deep, about eight feet. <laughs> and then he lowered his beach chair into the hole, into the pit, and he climbed in and sat down on it. What? No. Eight foot deep hole? Stop that. Now, the hole being made of sand does what holes made of sand normally do. And that's collapse in on itself, burying Daniel five feet under the sand. It took rescue workers using heavy equipment about an hour to get him out. Mr. Jones also pronounced dead. Good grief. At the hospital. That's terrible. Yeah, that was a rough one because it was just an innocent little thing he was doing. Here's a palate cleanser for you. I love a story about a would-be burglar experiencing instant karma. Sure. In February of 1997, a 24-year-old man named Santiago Alvarado decided that he was uh, he was going to burgle a bicycle shop. Uh, this was in, uh, how do you pronounce this, Lindsay? Lompoc, California, L-O-M-P-O-C, Lompoc? Lompoc. 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 Okay. Someplace in California, I'm not sure how to pronounce. Mr. Alvarado broke in through a vent in the roof, and he made his way down to the ceiling level. From there, he crept along above the ceiling on all fours, looking for a good place to pop a panel up and jump down into the bicycle shop where he planned to burgle the shit out of it. Now, <laughs> Santiago, like any good burglar, you, you have the proper burgling tools, like a good burgling flashlight. So as he was crawling along above the ceiling on all fours, he had this long flashlight and he put it in his mouth so he could see where he was going while he was crawling. It was shortly after that that the ceiling collapsed underneath of him and he fell 10 feet onto the floor with this long flashlight in his mouth. Oh. You can imagine the outcome of that. Yeah. I'm going to leave that one to the imagination, but... <laughs> Oh, boy, I love stories like that. Anyway. This is sort of like our ER nurse who said everybody who comes in with something <clears throat> up their butt says, I fell on it. Yeah. In this case, it wasn't his butt. But he did fall on it. So in Colombia, you, you <laughs> often hear two spoken words that should never be spoken together in a sentence. And those two words are amateur bullfighters. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm listening. <laughs> Hit each, me. Each November uh, in, in Colombia, they hold an amateur bullfighting festival. Last year's festival, no bull was killed, which would make Cat happy. Yay. Sure. And probably this will make her even happier. Dozens of amateur matadors were injured. Aw. Yay. Including one, <laughs> including one who was, according to this article, quote, Bobbitized. Oh, yeah, I get it. I get it. He took the bull's horn 
right in the soft danglies. Oh, it's too bad. That's too bad. One participant uh, was quoted as saying, it's just one bull against a town of a thousand morons. (laughs) (laughs) That's delicious. And finally... I saved this one for last. You know how I love stories of mistreated animals who get their revenge. (laughs) Yeah. We all do, Kat. Saving this one for last, Paul and Bonnie Stiller were bored one September night. Paul and Bonnie lived in Andover Township, New Jersey. Now, there wasn't a lot to do, wasn't a lot going on that night, and they were just sitting around their house drinking heavily. And around 2 a.m., they decided that they would go out for a joyride just to lighten things up a little bit. Wow. Obviously, after drinking heavily, the worst thing you can probably do is get in an automobile. That's a recipe for disaster. Word. But what makes an even bigger recipe for disaster is having too much to drink and then at 2 a.m. getting in a car that has dynamite in it. Oh, Oh boy. Were they on their way to a... Condom machine? (laughs) Maybe. I'm not sure. She beat me to it. Could have been. (laughs) So Paul and Bonnie, they're out for a drunken joyride. It's two in the morning when one of them has the idea of spicing things up by lighting one of the sticks of dynamite. Now, the plan was they uh, they were driving down this back road, and they would light the stick of dynamite, throw it out the window, blow somebody's mailbox up or something, and have a good laugh. Now, I haven't smoked for decades. But I remember when I did, even as a young person, I knew enough not to throw a lit cigarette out the window of a car because it can zip right back in through the back window if it's cracked. So I wouldn't have done that. <laughs> but, but that's not what happened here. See, the rear windows were rolled up. Unfortunately, so was the window Paul tried to throw the dynamite through. Oh, my God in heaven. The stick of dynamite bounced off the window and landed in his lap. Yeah. The dynamite blew their car up. The incident killed Paul and put his wife in the hospital in critical condition. Remember, kids, God. alcohol and dynamite, a recipe for disaster. Jamie, Christmas. How lit, if you'll pardon the expression, <laughs> do you have to be to think, all right, I'm really buzzed. I know. Let's go for a drive. I know. Let's toss dynamite out the window. <laughs> I'm sure that window's rolled down. I'm too drunk to reach over and make sure that there's no glass there. <laughs> Here's the lighter, and boom. Yeah. I had a friend one time. I was riding around with this guy. This was in high school. And he was drinking, but not alcohol. He had like a bottle of Coca-Cola, a glass bottle of Coca-Cola. And he thought it would be funny as he's driving along, just toss it out the passenger window where I was sitting. And same thing. The window was rolled up and he hurls this bottle through it and it smashes and just goes all over me. Oh my God. And uh, that was difficult to explain the cuts on my face to my parents when I got home later that night. Do you think that maybe he just didn't like you very much? You know, now that you mention it, Mm. ooh, he was the only one that would ever give me a ride home. (laughs) Wow. Oh, she goes for the jugular lens. When <laughs> Well, I will tell you that um, back in the day when I did smoke cigarettes, I, I one time was flicking a cigarette ash out my car window and mm-hmm. the whole cherry came off and right back in, yep. uh, into the back of my shirt. Mm-hmm. And wow. I was late for my nephew's wedding <laughs> that day. As a direct result of that? Yes. <laughs> yum, yum. Nothing burned. 
Once again, you can email the shallow end at lifeguard at shallowendpodcast.com. You can check out our website, shallowendpodcast.com. And uh, we really appreciate you hanging out with us, and we look forward to doing it again next week. We realize you have a choice when you listen to podcasts, and, well, we just want to say thanks for choosing this one. And we also want to say make good choices. Because your damn life might depend on it, you idiot. (laughs) It's always good to call the uh, listeners' names, don't you think? So concludes another episode of The Shallow End with Schnebly and Toff. We thank you for listening. Oh, be a dear, would you? Please subscribe to this podcast, give these boys a five-star rating, and think of something nice to say, even if you have to make something up. And visit us online at shallowendpodcast.com. All content copyright 2022. Misuse of this podcast may result in serious injury or even death. Follow all label directions. This offer void in Fort Kent, Maine, and Tucson, Arizona. And parts of Orlando. Don't ask. Just trust us. Okay, gotta go. What do you get when you take two childhood friends with a passion for unexplored history and a whole lot of booze? You get us, Queen's Podcast. And here at Queen's, we are spilling the tea on all kinds of women from history. From New Orleans voodoo queen, Marie Laveau, to Marie Antoinette, and everything in between. Each queen is paired with a cocktail recipe that will totally get you in the mood to hear the fun, dramatic, and juicy stories of fascinating women from history. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Cheers! Do you love history but hate when it's stuffy and boring? Well, look no further and join me, Katie Charlwood, your friend, the neighborhood social scientist and reader of books, as I delve into unsolved historical mysteries, murders by gaslight, and of course, women who have been misrepresented through all time. On Who Did What Now, the history podcast that's not your history class. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.